every experience that we have is like a catalyst that is there to provide an opportunity for growth. Like you said, I grew up pastor's kid, deeply religious, devout Christian, became a pastor, had an awakening out of religion at 23 and was like, I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. That led to an experience at 27 where I literally laughed myself into enlightenment and it was just absolute bliss everywhere I looked. Now I'd actually tasted what heaven was like. I don't wanna live a second in this state knowing that that state's available. What we are is much more complex than we realize. Everything religion teaches you, it's not that it's not true, it's that it's way more true than you realize. The Lob One to me gives more satisfying answers to these questions than any text I've ever come across. The whole universe is this amazing dance of cooperation. It's this endless flow of giving and receiving in the oneness of reality. All your needs are met because you're one with reality, so it can't leave you out. Love can't leave anything out. Only what I have not given can ever be lacking. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back to the Know Thyself podcast, where every single week we get the honor and the privilege to sit down with a brilliant mind and open heart um, who can help us in conversation know ourselves in the world at deeper and deeper levels. Uh, this conversation is very much in alignment uh, with the, the theme of this podcast, which is to know thyself. It's why I feel like I'm personally here. What I would love to do with this show is to alleviate suffering, to help us know ourselves at deeper and deeper levels. And my guest today is very, very in alignment with that ethos. Um, he is somebody that was raised as a pastor's kid in an evangelical church. And through his own series of awakenings in his life, he's now come to this place where he's an educator, a teacher, a YouTuber, and shares uh, a lot of beautiful wisdom online and teachings and understandings from the law of one and all about enlightenment, how to ascend and um, alleviate suffering in this human experience. So without further ado, Aaron Abke, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Really looking forward to this conversation and a uh, big fan of your podcast. You have uh, just consistently the most incredible guests. So honored to be a part of your lineup and to just uh, get deep with you today, man. Yeah, man, you're incredible. So welcome to the club. Thank you, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, this, uh, like I said, there's just so much simpatico in terms of what we can dive into today. And uh, I'm excited to see all the avenues in which we do. I wanna start wide and then go deep into different micro topics. So we'll start a little bit more macro. From your understanding, why do you feel like we incarnate assholes into this human experience to forget ourselves? Like, why do we choose to forget who we are? That might be the most common question I get on, on YouTube or any content I create. And um, from a like third density level, that seems like a, a rational question, right? But we, we do have to zoom out to answer that question. And uh, this is why I love the law of one so much, because the law of one, if, Which uh, if you want to yeah, provide some context also. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the law of one, it's a channeled text from the early 1980s. It was from a group of uh, UFO researchers who were trying to kind of figure out what this UFO phenomenon is all about. Back in the 70s, 80s, there was a lot of like rising UFO activity. And this group had a really brilliant idea, which was basically, if we want to understand who these beings are and why they're here, we should probably be a lot more interested in their philosophy and their spirituality than in their technology. And so they started uh, channeling to try and contact extraterrestrials who are here in our plane. And I think they did that for the better part of 12 years until they uh, at, at one point had a woman come to the group. It was all men. So that was their first mistake, right? <laughs> um, and it was the girlfriend of one of the guys in the group. Her name was Carla Ruckart. 
And uh, as it just seems to be true, women are just more natural channelers than men. So she's like, oh, what's this channeling thing you guys are doing? And she learns and immediately is like this epic next level channel. One day, the story the story is that she was um, giving a, a lesson to a student on channeling and she was demonstrating it and this contact comes through, which identifies itself as Ra. And the leader of the group's name was Don Elkins. And he was listening to this and was like, oh my, this is a truly profound contact. They'd had a little bit of success, but not anything truly genuine like that. So he was like, we got to do a dedicated you know, channeling session with this. So they got three people together, Carla, the channel who had lay down, go into a deep trance. She had no memory of whatever transpired in the sessions, uh, blindfold on the whole works. Don Elkins was the questioner. And then Jim McCarty was the scribe who was recording and documenting everything. So they go through 106 um, channeling sessions with this entity named Ra over a four-year period where they're just asking Ra about the nature of the universe and questions like you just asked. Why do we come here? Why are our souls doing this? Why evolve? Why reincarnate? And the law of one just, I've read a lot of channeled works. Um, the law of one to me gives a more satisfying answers to these questions about the nature of the universe and the soul and all of that than any text I've ever come across. And this is one of the feedbacks I always hear from my students and viewers on YouTube is that when they get into the law of one, there's this strong resonance with the material where you're like, I know this information already, you know? Yeah. And so um, we can get into that, but, but essentially what the law of one says is that all the universe is one being and you are a aspect, a fractal of that one being that is in the process of knowing itself. And it knows itself through a journey of evolution over many, many lifetimes, which we call reincarnation. And then the law of one lays out a blueprint or a map of that trajectory that is called the seven densities of consciousness. And you really can't answer that question, or at least I can't, um, adequately without understanding that model, because that model shows you this is why we we do this and why we incarnate here and why this journey has unspeakable purpose and beauty to it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love how you kind of alluded to, it's like remembering a truth that are, that you already know. It's already present, right? It's why you can't, you can't find truth. It's not like you lost it. It's just you realize right. it. It's already here, you right. know? And so having these channel texts and individuals who can bring profound amounts of information and light through them to explain and give um, the best that they can, the ability to explain in the English language what the hell is going on in this wild experience that we call being human. Yes. <laughs> um, and so just to to kind of wrap this up for this first part, why we kind of choose to incarnate, why we come here, the purpose of our, ourselves is to know ourselves. So from the understanding of the seven densities, why continually choose back and forth to to forget ourselves and to remember ourselves and to forget ourselves and to have to know ourselves? What is that? What contrast, the, the experience of that contrast, what is that providing for us as souls? Yeah. Yeah, such a great question. And that's one of those questions that the law of one gives an amazingly satisfying answer to. The short answer is that of those seven densities, the third density, which is the one we're all experiencing right now, is actually the only one where we forget our past lives. Uh, the first two, there's nothing to forget yet. Uh, but after three, we go through four through seven with full knowledge, memory of all past lives and whatnot. So there's a, there's a certain reason why the creator designed this density level to have what's what they call the veil of forgetting 
why we don't get to remember our past lives and who we are, why we're here, the nature of oneness, the truth of the universe. We don't get that information inherently. We have to earn it, right? And that's because the law of one says that there's a very important choice taking place in third density, which is essentially the soul's choice of which polarity it wants to be on its evolutionary journey. Most people listening might think that that's a novel idea, like they haven't heard that, that there's actually two choices. We could call it the path of light or the path of darkness. The law of one calls it the positive polarity and the negative polarity, the service to others path or the service to self path. Every soul has to decide which one of those two polarities it wants to be in order to make it out of this realm, you know, the, escape the wheel of samsara. And these two polarities, it's, it's just like chemistry or something. These are, um, you know, we talk about how the universe is fractal where we see the same patterns as we zoom out, right? They look a little different, but we see the architecture, right? So as a quantum particle has to have a charge, you know, electrons are a negative charge, protons are a positive charge. Every particle has to have a charge in order to do what's called work in chemistry. Work is, uh, the definition of work means your ability to cause change in your environment, to act upon your environment. Unless a particle has a charge, it can't do work. And so Ra says in the law of one that you're like that. Your consciousness is like a quantum particle that needs a charge to do work in consciousness. And so the, I guess we could get into the seven densities if you wanna map it out. But basically consciousness begins in the first density, which correlates to the first chakra. The, the seven densities are like the macrocosm version of our seven chakras. So if you know what the chakras are and what they represent, you have a huge leg up in understanding the densities. First, the first density is the density of pure being, where consciousness comes into space-time and think of it like a newborn baby or something. You know, consciousness, as you know, is just infinite in nature and uh, unchanging, right? So when it experiences physical existence, it has to start from the beginning, which is earth, water, fire, air, and space, the five elements. So the first density of consciousness is the five elements. And at some point, all of us as a soul experienced that density for billions and billions of years. And once consciousness gains enough data in the first density, it starts to evolve into the second density, which is the density of growth and movement. So, you know, in first density, stars explode, planets form around a star eventually, the oceans and the land, you know, harden, the planet kind of crystallizes, and then now we have an ocean, and there's uh, the ability for habitable life to form. And then in that ocean, eventually, it will start to evolve like microbial life or whatever. And that goes through, you know, fish, animals, plants, insects, that whole spectrum is second density. Anything that can interact with its environment as an individual would be a second density life form. So then consciousness spends another, at least on this planet, like two and a half billion years before human beings were evolved. And once consciousness gains enough data in the second density, second chakra, it evolves into the third density, which is where consciousness does this really amazing thing where it kind of um, sort of flips in on itself and becomes an object to itself. We call that I am or self-awareness. So when consciousness becomes self-aware, 
when it knows that it exists, that's third density. And so I'll, I'll pause for a second to explain density to the viewers who may not understand that term, unless you want to jump in. Please. So density refers to the amount of light that consciousness is experiencing. So the more light is available, the more information is available. And the more information is available, the more ability consciousness has to express itself. So like when you look at your dog or your cat, for example, that's a second density life form. There's a clear difference in your animal's state of consciousness and yours. There's a whole plane of your consciousness that's totally unavailable to your dog or your cat. They, you can't have a conversation with them. They can't understand why your stock went down that day and why you're depressed. Like there's so much that the animal's not aware of. That's because they're on a different density level of consciousness. So the, you know, the filter that consciousness is funneling into is a little bit narrower for the animal. And it just keeps widening as we go through the densities. And so when you become, when, when consciousness becomes self-aware, that's the beginning of the third density. And that I, I like to call it the density of separation, because as soon as I have a concept that I'm an individual, I have needs that need to be met. I have to survive. Well, then you become maybe a threat to my survival, right? And an obstacle for me to overcome or, or something for me to conquer and possess and enslave and all these different options. But unity is not yet available to consciousness. So that's why every sacred text will say, you know, we are at our core innocent. We're not evil just because humans do evil things doesn't mean that's our nature. We're just unaware of the truth of the universe, right? Yeah, it's like a scarcity paradigm is inevitable if there's an inherent belief of separation. Absolutely. So yeah, um, yeah walk us through that transition from 3D to 4D. So consciousness essentially evolves in third density by suffering greatly. And at the, at the hands of that suffering, consciousness will begin to um, move into the next density, the fourth density, which correlates to the heart chakra. And it will start to gain this awareness of like, okay, it's true that we're experiencing different bodies, but does that mean we're fundamentally separate? Like maybe there's a sameness here of some sort. Maybe we're like, the same essence or energy. That's a fourth density understanding. So most of the people like walking down the street right now outside this building aren't on that frequency yet, right? They're still just locked in separation. So they can't be judged, but they will continue to suffer from that awareness until it forces them to have a more loving view of reality. Yeah. So another great way to look at the densities is uh, as the color wheel. Yeah. Because the chakras have colors, right? Consciousness doesn't just jump from level to level. It's a gradual shift, right? It's like a, a spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, exactly. So let's say that, so the solar plexus is the yellow ray energy center. Heart chakra is the green ray energy center. Um, humanity as of 2012, our planet actually was, um, began becoming magnetized to the fourth density level. And that only happens, Ross says, because of the procession of the equinox we have that 25,000 year cycle. Every time uh, Ross says, just like the ticking of a clock or something, the planets are just like clocks in space. When it comes back around after that 25,000 year cycle around the galaxy, it's, it, it is available to graduate to the next density if, and only if, 51% or greater of the collective consciousness is on a fourth density level. Yeah. And then the planet itself, the energy web of the planet goes from yellow to green. But that happens slowly, right? So 
As of 2012, we're technically a fourth density planet, but we're still carrying all our third density karma, right? So we have a lot of shadow work to do first before we can become true color green. And that's what we're seeing play out in the collective right now, all the darkness coming up. But it's as if humanity, we've been in yellow for hundreds of thousands of years, and now we're able to see the first shade of lime green yeah. in our planetary consciousness. Yeah. Before we go on to the last three, I think it's just a really beautiful understanding to see how we're always as individuals going to perceive reality depending upon what level of consciousness we're at. So if we're at a red, orange, yellow level of consciousness, then we're going to see life metaphorically in that orange, you know, red, yellow you got um, level of consciousness. I really love Ken Wilber's uh, breakdown of this in Integral Spirituality. And he also has a book of Spectrums of Consciousness where he breaks down the different levels and how you could have the same experience of life, like the same thing could happen externally, but it's how you perceive it is completely different internally, mm -hmm. right? So you could have an inherent luminous experience of, of connectedness. And at a certain level, maybe at a red or an orange level of consciousness, you're going to perceive that per perhaps if you're indoctrinated in a dogma or a religion to be uh, connected with one person, for example, yeah. Jesus as the, you know, as a savior energy. And it's, his, it's him speaking to you in that way versus a ultraviolet level of consciousness that you're operating at and you experience it as Christ consciousness and the inherent interconnectedness of all life. Um, so is there anything you want to speak to how we do very much so perceive the level of consciousness we're at? Um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So, so let's go back to that choice yeah. that's available here. We can choose to be a, what they call a positively polarized being or a negatively polarized being. And the way we do that, uh, they sort of name those polarities as a miniature description of how you transcend the opposite polarity. So the positive path is called the service to others path because being of service to others is how you transcend your negative polarity. Now, the, the law one also says that the creator does not blink at the light or the darkness. It has no judgment. The negative is just as valid as the positive. You know, the whole universe is comprised of these two polarities, right? We need them both. So the negative absolutely plays a role. Um, but there are different consequences, let's say, to which one you choose. And so the service to self path, uh, you transcend your positivity by being of service to yourself. And the key distinction here is that all service is service to self because there's only one self. But let's say the positive polarity serves itself by always serving the whole. It's always in service to the whole. Everything you do in your daily life, you have the whole in mind, all of creation. That's what we call love. The negative being serves itself at the cost of the whole, right? Like uh, at the expense of the whole. In fact, it actually is taking from the whole to serve the part. That's the negative polarity. And that polarity progresses through taking power over others. So uh, some of the you know, the Klaus Schwab's, the, the Justin Trudeau's, these beings that we see on our planet that are really trying to enslave humanity in different ways. Darth Vader. Darth Vader, right? I want to give this example too, because <laughs> I think it's, it's I love to make it as digestible as possible as well. But yeah. like, I love that distinction of like Yoda and Darth Vader. Dude, Star Wars is literally our universe, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> but they actually, it's funny, they actually ask Ra in the sessions, it's like 1983 or something. And Don's like, hey, so this movie just came out called Star Wars, and they have like um, the force and the path of light and darkness. Is that is that movie kind of like our universe? And Ra's like, yes. 
Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, we're in Star Wars. <laughs> so anyway, so the dark side of the force takes power over. The light side of the force gives power to. And so there's a that's a huge spiritual concept to grasp, right? That what is positive, what is loving is radiating, outward moving like a star, right? A star is always giving light. And so it has an endless source of light because it's sharing its light. A black hole is doing what? Keeping its light to itself and pulling in, right? So the negative polarity is like a black hole that's always absorbing into itself and is never satisfied. So that's one of the things to know about the negative path is that there isn't a destination where you finally have peace and you're like, okay, I've gained enough power. I'm just going to chill now. Yeah. It's worse and worse the more you get like a drug addiction or something. Right. You get consumed by it. It's just like in every villain story, as they gain more and more power, like Darth Vader, it eventually corrupts them and destroys yeah. them, right? Because it's harder to hold on to. For example, where Yoda, they're both using the force yes. in their own way, right? But one is service to self, one is service to others. And you see how that manifests in the longevity of its sustainability. Yeah. Um, yeah. A quick share from our sponsor today, Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix that contains a science-backed ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. It's got no sugar, no coloring, artificial ingredients, gluten fillers, no BS. So whether you need to just replenish your electrolytes after a workout or it's just for overall hydration needs, they do the perfect job and I think they taste delicious. Literally every day of my life, I drink a hot chocolate element. First thing in the morning, I basically heat up some water, in a packet of their chocolate flavor and it's like the best salty chocolatey hydration drink first thing in the morning while i'm still fasted literally all of my friends that i have put onto this now make it a part of their daily ritual as well to try it out you can go to drinklmnt.com know thyself and they'll give you a free sample pack with your order to try every flavor and what's mind-blowing is that if you don't like it they'll give you a no questions asked refund and you don't even have to send it back as always, everything is linked down in the description below. Back to the episode. So another cool thing about these two polarities is that because, because the creator is using the universe to know itself, right? Um, we all kind of get that. Um, one, it has to do that through polarity, right? As we said. So one of those polarities can only represent all that the creator is in its true nature. And then likewise, the other polarity that the creator makes, the negative, has to represent everything the creator is not, fundamentally speaking. And so, you know, we, we talk about like, you got to integrate your light and your dark because you're both. That's true. But the law of one makes an important distinction that says the negative is designed to give catalyst for the positive to know itself. The negative was created to give the positive a reason to know itself. It has no motivation, right? And What's really cool about the veil of forgetting is Ra says eons ago, there were planets, third density planets like ours that didn't have a veil of forgetting. And this was before this was thought of by the logos. Um, And so they said what happened was souls just spent forever in third density and they never evolved into the fourth because they had no reason to. They had no motivation to grow. There was nothing challenging or testing them. They were just chilling and they, they're one with the creator. Why evolve? You know? So he said, it's like children in school who aren't punished for not doing their homework and aren't rewarded for doing it. So they just go play in the playground all day. So we need the negative, right? To, to drive us towards the light. The darkness is there to show us the light, Mm -hmm. but, um, the path of illusion, which is the negative 
Ra calls it the path of that which is not. Um, because it's it's designed to reflect the exact opposite of the creator's nature, you know, separation, fear, selfishness, um, it can only last so long. And so those beings who do choose the dark side of the force, they, they graduate to fourth density negative and then fifth density negative. But Ra says once they get to sixth density, the negative being finds itself at a kind of paradox where it can't evolve anymore. It has, it has already experienced every kind of enslavement and power over and domination that could ever be conceived of in this universe. And so it's at a wall. And the positive being also finds itself at that place at early sixth density. It has been of service in every way possible, right? It's been helping planets evolve for millions of years. It can't gain any more polarity. So the positive being does this amazing thing where it then turns back in time and serves as a guide to all of its past incarnations. And we call that the higher self. Well, that's actually something the positive path has to do to keep polarizing, to keep ascending. And by being of service to your past lifetimes, you know, guiding and facilitating your learning and your karma, the sixth density soul polarizes. But the negative being is at this paradox, right? Where it's like, well, I can't serve myself or I'll polarize positively. Mm-hmm. So it eventually realizes it's at a brick wall, so to speak, and it actually reverses its polarity to the positive by acknowledging that oneness is the highest truth of the universe, not separation, and then becomes a sixth density positive soul and moves on from there. Lots to chew on with, with yes. all of that. Yes. Um, beautiful. So then, so we kind of just touched on five and six D, and then if you want to kind of walk us through what becomes available, like what is 7D consciousness essentially? Yeah, I definitely don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Tell us the answers to the universe, Aaron. <laughs> See if I can channel them. <laughs> um, fifth density is the throat chakra density, the Blu-ray density. Uh, it represents light and wisdom. So that's where the light body evolves actually. Um, the, the body that consciousness is using in every incarnation has to, has to be a vibrational match to the level of consciousness. So the body is increasingly high vibrational as you move up the spectrum. So we move from this chemical body, which we're experiencing now, is kind of dense meat suit, lots of chemicals. Uh, and it eventually becomes more and more just pure electromagnetic energy. And eventually we become a light body, which is what most ETs in the universe actually are. They're just like orbs of light and they can create a body with their mind if they want to, but right. they're just light, right? Yeah. So that's fifth density. And then sixth is correlates to the third eye chakra, the indigo ray. And Ra says that's where the soul has to reach a perfect balance of love and wisdom. Because if, if we're just trying to serve others with love, but we don't have any wisdom, Ra says you are sort of a neophyte for the negative path to take advantage of. Because mm. he says the positive path is... Um, what does he say? What do they say? It's like the positive path wants to be of service and the negative path is clever. So it's like the negative path's entire existence is dependent on scheming and tricking and deceiving. Yeah. So you got to endow your love with some wisdom if you're going to be of true service because the negative path is going to take full advantage, right? And that's what we see a great example of on our planet. We have the virtue touting stuff that the overlords use to be like, hey, give us all your rights and freedom and let us infringe on your humanity because you want to be a good person, right? You don't want to be 
discriminatory, do you? Perfect tactic of the negative. I'm going to use your light against you because you're not wise. You don't know what true love looks like. So I can just couch anything I want in virtue and trick you into agreeing with me. And that's how the negative path gains negative polarity, by the way. I can't just, if I'm a negative being, I can't just throw you in handcuffs and lock you in a jail cell and say, I own you now, and then polarize. No, I have to sweet talk you into yeah. being my servant, right? I have sure. to trick you in some way to giving me your power. Yeah, I gotta, you gotta suck them into your illusion. You gotta suck them into your illusion. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. And it's not to demonize that path, right? It's it for right. individuals and beings that have chosen that, like you spoke to earlier, the light or positive polarity needs the negative to know itself, yeah. not to be itself. Like I love that distinction. Yes, that you've very good. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you can just be yourself, but without the contrast of who you're not, can't know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well said. The We definitely can't judge the negative path because in all honesty, it's, it's amazing. You know, like when we look at the structures of society, which have been built in, in literally every, you know, Zach Bush talks about this all the time in every aspect of our society, it's this perfect pyramidal power structure of service to self top down regimen, right? Yeah. Secrecy and all this stuff. And you got to just give it up to these guys. Like they are incredible masterminds of control and domination. And, uh, so that's part of the creator in a sense, right? Totally. The wisdom and the intelligence of the creator being expressed through the negative, but it's a distortion of the truth, right? Yeah. Of oneness. And so we just don't want to, um, if you want to be a being of love, that is, you don't want to cooperate with it, right? And that's that's the predicament, the spiritual catalyst, I think, that the source provided to all of us during the pandemic. It's like, you got to do this, you got to do that, or you're a bad person. Are you going to do it? All right. And something in a lot of us said, this feels negative. Like before I even get to, oh, is it my civic duty for the better of humanity to do this? Wait a minute, before I'm even there, you're asking me to trust organizations that have proven to be service to self, negatively polarized organizations who knowingly lie about their products and medications every year and knowingly kill and damage millions of people a year. And make billions off of it. Make billions off of it and pay billions of dollars in criminal penalties. And you're asking me to outsource my power to that structure? I just can't do that. But don't you want to be a good citizen? <laughs> Not going to get me. But that's how they do it, right? Because you know yourself. Exactly. <laughs> if you don't know yourself, that's what they take advantage of. Yeah. Part of this realization, once you kind of see and have the awareness and zoom out to see the energies that are at play without labeling it um, as good or bad, is you just realize the game of life that we're in. And when you realize it's a game, then you can become, uh, you become aware of it. It's just like Neo in the Matrix waking up to the reality of how, yeah, for the vast majority and just at the level of consciousness that we're at, most individuals are operating as NPCs. Right. <laughs> and it's not to like judge them and be like, you're not woke and I'm woke. No, it's <laughs> like just to see that there is a game being played out here. And the more that you have that conscious realization, the more you actually have power to use the positive polarities, if you so wish, um, to be on the advancement of your own spiritual journey. And oftentimes even using the negative polarities uh, service to self infrastructure that has been built. Like we are operating with an inf infrastructure that has been built by corporations and individuals 100%. That, um, that have been on that path. And it's cool. We get to play in that game um, and become a Trojan horse for yeah. waking people up. <laughs> right. That's a good way of putting it. And it's, it's interesting you bring that up because Ra actually talks about that idea as well, that 
in terms of the non-playable character, when we, when our incarnation is over, if we're self-aware and we know that we're on a spiritual journey, we're a soul, right? Then when we go back to the, um, Ra calls it the space-time realm and the time-space realm. So space-time is this realm. Time-space is where we go when our soul leaves the body. When we go to back to time-space, we get to choose our next incarnation. We get to craft what kind of lifetime we want to live based on the lessons we're trying to learn. And before we're aware that we are an eternal being, a soul, um, Ra says, you're kind of like it. Ra doesn't say this, but it, they, in so few words, say you're kind of like an NPC, meaning when, when that incarnation's over and you go back, karma itself decides your next lifetime. You have no say in it yet because yeah. you're not aware of who you really are yet. So whatever your karmic configuration is, the universe just spits you back into another body, just like it's doing with animals and insects. Like an insect doesn't need to choose its next lifetime. It just needs a thousand more insect lifetimes, right? Yeah. To, to learn and grow. But once we know who we are, we get to take our evolutionary journey into our own hands. And that's the beautiful part of this game we're playing is that it's all about free will. You're fully in charge. You're fully the creator of your reality. Even if you think you were born in a underprivileged life or whatever, you have to know that your soul chose that for a reason based on the lessons you need to learn. So the best thing that any of us can do to begin really polarizing towards the positive is just take a look around at our life, you know, and ask yourself, why would I have wanted a life like this, my soul? What lessons would I have been trying to teach myself spiritually by putting myself in a lifetime like this? Maybe you've been abused a lot or you've just been, um, you've had a very poor, impoverished life. What spiritual lessons would that life be trying to teach you? Whether it's self-love, forgiveness, acceptance, um, these messages are actually screaming at us in our own life, right? But until we become self-aware, we're kind of like an NPC that's just going through a game. Yep. Yep. Mistaken for who we think we are and an illusion of identity that we've created for ourselves. And if you're tuning into this episode of the Know Self Podcast right now and you've made it this far, I want you to bring your full attention and presence to where we're about to go because we're going to keep going deeper and deeper here. And I truly believe the value of not just what we've gone into and the framework we've set up, but what we are going to go into the rest of the podcast really is an amazing catalyst and understanding and awareness for how to wake up, for how to alleviate suffering in life, how to know yourself and have a beautiful experience in this life. So stay with us. We're going to keep diving deeper. People are familiar with IQ and EQ. Not as many people are familiar with the term SQ. Mm -hmm. So what in your, because as you wake up, you realize this is a game yeah. and you have this kind of heightened awareness of what lessons I'm supposed to be learning and like you perceive how things are working for you, not just to you in a victimhood consciousness, you can develop spiritual intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so how do you describe what spiritual intelligence is? And then we go from there. Yeah. So the way that I've understood spiritual intelligence, I don't think that there's one right definition, um, but the way it's, it's come through for me is your SQ is your comprehension of reality. How much do you truly comprehend what reality is? Now, if that definition is kind of ambiguous, another one that I'll often give is on a more functional level, your SQ is the combination of your level of self-awareness and your embodiment or your integration. And there's a, obviously a big difference between the two, right? Masculine, feminine. Um, we all know lots of people who are 
really high in self-awareness, like, and they're full of spiritual knowledge and they can talk the talk like the best of them and razzle dazzle you with knowledge. I find that quite often in a lot of plant medicine communities, anywhere where you're regularly going to gain a lot of awareness, like you can have access to a lot of insight. Yeah. But I'd be careful with unearned wisdom because you have that level of awareness. And if you're lacking the embodiment, it's like your reality and your your experience of reality actually doesn't change that much. Right. And you can invite some some real tough karma too, right? So we have to actually, once, once we gain the awareness of self, we then have to embody the self. And that is the feminine element of what we are. So SQ would be a combo of your masculine and feminine, but I like to delineate that as self-awareness and embodiment. Yeah. Being yourself, knowing yourself, having that that kind of coming together. And so yeah. um, now as we go through this process, we develop our own spiritual intelligence. Um, how we essentially go on this ascension spiral, I want to break these down to the, the gross reality, the subtle mm-hmm. body and the causal body and how we can actually move through them. Because a lot of people are familiar with moving through the denser energies or like shadow work and doing talk therapy or whatever, like in this reality. But I have always been keen and interested to see the deeper causal reasons for Mm -hmm. why things are manifesting in the first place. And Mm -hmm. until we can actually, you know, we can work through things on this, in the third density in this reality and see progress, have an improved display of experience of life. Sure. But if we're actually having the desire to seek, to know ourselves at the most fundamental level, we get to realize what the the higher reasons or the deeper reasons, depending on which way you look at it for the happenings in our reality. So give us kind of your framework on that ascension process of how we're actually waking up and then how on each level we can quote unquote move through our shit mm-hmm. to, to have access to these higher densities of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I love the, um, it's, it's from the Hindu tradition, Advaita Vedanta. They call it the four bodies of consciousness. I like to think of it as an ascension spiral because what it's teaching is that we are, what we are is much more complex than we realize, right? We are actually like a cake with layers, right? There's layers to what you are. And it, it separates, like if it could pull apart what, you're, what you are, it would have, let's say, four levels to it. Um, I also like the visual of like a, like a Russian doll. Yeah, know, like, like a Russian doll. Yeah. So if you pull open the Russian dolls of your consciousness, they say, well, let's go from the most dense level first, the gross body, which doesn't mean like disgusting. It means uh, f- dense, physical, gross, right? Material. That's the first body of consciousness, and that's when you're just identified as a body. So that's 90% at least of humanity right now. I'm this body, and that's all I am. And everything I experience is through the perspective of a body. What happens to my body is felt as if it happens to me, the essence, the I I refer to. So that's body consciousness. That's the first level. We, be, we all begin there as we're born because of that veil of separation, right? The second body of consciousness we can ascend to through lots of spiritual effort is the subtle body, which is the mental body. And that's when we begin to experience ourself and the universe more through the mind. And, uh, you know, think about like law of attraction teachings. When someone's getting really interested in law of attraction, you know they're ascending into the subtle body because they're realizing like, I'm actually something beyond this physical body. I can actually affect reality with my mind. Right. And that's kind of like in that third density reality. Like you understand you are a creator and that you are a manifester and you can create your life. Um, But a lot of people kind of stay there for for a while too. Right. 
Um, so then, yeah, keep on going. Yeah, the, the subtle body's uh, a very long body. I actually will, um, I have an SQ chart in that series of through the seven chakras and I'll map uh, what, what body correlates to each chakra. Yeah. And this, the subtle body, I think, spans like three chakras. So the subtle body is when the universe appears to be mental more than physical and energetic, let's say. So we, we have to transcend that body by realizing the eternal essence, eternal truth behind the form we see. That's what will bring us to the causal body, which is our body of, let's say, the soul's body or the, our spiritual body. And uh, that is the, some people call it the void, um, pure emptiness, pure being. There's really nothing there except for the karma that you're carrying. So the causal body is also called the karmic body. At least I call it that because that's the body that carries your karma from lifetime to lifetime. Each mind is di a different mind, right? From each lifetime, but you're carrying some similarities from your past life. Well, what is that similarity? It's your karma and the way that your karma is molding and shaping the expression of your soul. So it's something very subtle and hard to pin down, right? But it's undeniable. Yeah. In our experience. Yeah. It's a beautiful visual also of like, imagine you throw a pebble into a pond and you see like multiple ripples. Most people identify as like in this example, the third or fourth ripple and that gross subtle or that gross body, mm -hmm. very dense. You go back another later layer. There's more of an energetic signature and it's more of the subtle body. You go to the causal body and then you can go to the place, the source, right? Which is mm -hmm. the actual pebble that was thrown. Yeah. And like where the, the source, the cause of all those ripples in the first place. It's not to say that one is better than the other, just that they, the causal or the, I guess the most um, the most subtle version of it encapsulates each level, right? And so, how can we work through them, and and what are the different ways on each level to uh, to transmute, alchemize the energy? For example, starting with shadow work on the first um, density yeah. level. Yeah. So, in uh, in my programs, I actually teach, um, let's say, let's just call it healing for convenience. Uh, I teach healing in th these three different bodies, gross purification, subtle purification, and causal purification. So gross purification is shadow work. So that's where we have to meet all of that stuck energy that's in the body, trauma, pain, uh, resentment from the past. We have to unlock those energies and heal them with love and forgiveness. And when we do that, I'll tell my students, like anytime you're experiencing a challenging emotion, you're doing gross purification in that moment. And all you're asked to do is just meet that with love. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to trace back the trauma to the origin or something. Like You just need to give love to yourself, to that part of yourself. But that's only one dimension of healing. The second dimension is the subtle purification, and that's healing our thoughts. So really, if, if you're just lost in a world of painful emotions, you, the last thing on your mind is your thoughts. You're too busy on the energetic level, the dense, gross level. So we need to give ourselves, free some space up so we can really start doing some self-inquiry, right? Have a little more space in our mind. That's where we get into subtle purification. What do you believe about yourself? What, what negative core beliefs are you still holding on to that you need to see from the perspective of truth? That's subtle purification. So we, we have to question every thought we hold about ourselves, and see if it holds up under the light of what's eternally true of who we are. And that's how we purify the subtle body. And then the causal body is again, our karmic body. 
And so we heal our causal body from the karma that it's carrying yeah. by paying attention to our life lessons. Uh, Ra calls it catalyst in the law of one. Every experience that we have is like a catalyst that is there to provide an opportunity for growth if it's perceived and used accordingly. So, hey, what lesson is this moment asking me to learn? What part of my being is it demanding of me? More patience, more compassion, something like that. You have to pay attention to your life and communicate with your life. And that's how your soul heals karma, uh, which is the causal body. So there's three dimensions of healing that we are engaged in. And it's for me, it's helpful to know the distinctions between those three. Yeah, because different purification processes are needed depending upon what stage of development you're at. Yeah. But the more you... Uh, the more you get access to higher levels of consciousness, the more you're in tune with the subtle uh, energies that are behind the more gross, denser manifestations. And then you begin to work through those. And yoga is a science and technology that allows you to accelerate that process and yeah. really go through that. And most people are just familiar with an asana practice of physical postures and right this westernized view of what yoga is. But there's eight limbs that dive deep into actually how to move through this process. So it's um, it's it's when you have this understanding, and I just wish and I know in our lifetime the education system will have to be revamped. Otherwise, for sure, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, but like this understanding and framework is so needed, and um, it's beautiful once you arrive at because then you have tools, you have an understanding to move through energy and actually yeah. become uh, in that creator consciousness where you're you're actively meeting life halfway in the awakening of your of your soul's journey. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. Um, you're, you're touching on the importance of, it's part of knowing thyself is like, what part of me needs healing right now? There's a lot of uh, people that are, they sort of become uh, perpetual shadow workers, especially in the plant medicine community, right? They almost get addicted to shadow work and never go the, the next level up. And the we could also call gross purification, um, like feminine healing. And we could call subtle purification, masculine healing and then karmic healing. So I love to use this analogy of a flooded house to understand the difference. Uh, let's say there's a house that's flooded with water and the house represents you, your body. The water that's in the house represents all the stuck energy from your traumas and your pain. So if I wanna heal that house, I have to do two things, right? I need to open up all the windows and doors to let the water flood out. But if I just do that, and I don't go around and then turn off all the faucets in the house, the water's just gonna reaccumulate, right? So if I don't change my beliefs about myself, yeah, I can heal that trauma, but I'm gonna recreate it at some point because I still believe I'm separate, I'm lacking, I'm unworthy, whatever. So I have to do some subtle purification too and change my beliefs. That represents turning all the faucets off in the house. So if I just turn the faucets off, but I don't open all the windows and doors, well, at least I've, I've stopped the water from accumulating, but I'm still full of the pain and the trauma, right? So there's also a problem there. And that's where I see more of like the non-duality community where you get these people that are like professional bypassers almost. <laughs> where like, I, I literally watched a video of a, a Neo Advaita teacher not too long ago where, you know, some guy, he's sitting on a stool and there's an audience and they're asking questions. And this lady's like, so um, my my 12-year-old son just passed away in a car accident, but it didn't really happen. Um, and it's just like, oh, I felt it, man, in my heart yeah. when I watched that. Because, yeah, it, that's true, right? Like, eternally speaking, your son didn't die. Nothing happened to him. 
But nevertheless, you're carrying the pain of that trauma right. and the loss of your son here that if, you need to meet. If you arrive at that understanding authentically, that's beautiful. Yes. But to have it as a belief system, and like that's the difference between information, knowledge, and wisdom, where it's actually in, integ integrated in what we spoke to, that embodiment that's really needed. Yeah. And so like, it's not that it's wrong, but if you're going to bypass yourself to that, to that belief system and be indo indoctrinated into everything's an illusion, yeah. Like you can say that, but unless you've done the work to actually have that be a felt experience in your reality, then you're just causing more issues for yourself yes. and more suffering. And that that's painful. Yeah, it's and it's not authentic. Yeah. Like I'll get a lot of non-duality people comment on my videos and they'll they'll ask me things and, um, and I get it, right? But like, for example, there was uh, a post I did about everything exists in relationship. The whole universe is cooperation and relationship. And somebody commented and was like, false in oneness, there's no relationship, there's just emptiness, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I just said, is it your direct experience that you there is no relationship? That you don't experience relationship? Is that your actual experience? And well, blah, 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 but non-duality says. So it's like, yeah, there's problems on that level too, yeah. if we're not able to meet what's real and happening here in the physical. And it's not that it's not happening in the physical, it's just that the physical is impermanent, right? It's transient, it doesn't last. But to say that something you experienced you didn't experience is gaslighting yourself and bypassing. So we have to meet the parts of us that hurt from something and just say, it's okay to feel that. You're not unspiritual because you got traumatized. You're not unloving because you have some resentment towards your abuser. Just accept that part of you, it's okay. It's okay to feel, right? It's part of the creator learning. And then you, oh, I can breathe again and there's space. And then you might just realize that nothing actually happened. Right. <laughs> yeah, just gotta authentically arrive at that experience. I love how you broke that down. It's so beautiful. Thank you, man. So as, you, as we continue to dive deeper here, right? And the inherent belief of separation, the mindset of scarcity comes, suffering is inevitable when you're somebody that needs to protect to survive. And of course, that's part of ourselves. But um, in this human experience, as we're working with the more denser energies, there is um, how we work with the ego on the path of self-actualization is an important understanding. I really love the framework you've given of like three different uh, beliefs of the ego. So please dive into that and we can open up this little rabbit hole. Yeah, I feel like this is a topic you're going to love to jam on. Um, so in my own personal journey, when I was coming out of my dark night of yeah. the soul. By the way, if you'd like to share a little bit about that before we go into it, I mean, your, your dark night of the soul and that journey, I would love for you to touch on too. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it gives good context for where this understanding came from. Yeah, um, Like you said, I grew up pastor's kid, um, deeply religious, devout Christian, and followed wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps to be a pastor one day, actually did, became a pastor for one year, had an awakening out of religion at 23 and was like, I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. Um, total identity crisis. Who am I if I'm not a Christian? You know, every single friend I had or had ever had was Christian. All my family, everyone I know is Christian. So it was like immediate exodus from my life. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the universe needed to do for me, right? It's just isolation. And so I was all alone. I don't believe in this religious God anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure Jesus existed, but like, I've, I guess I've been deluding myself thinking that I've been having this relationship with Jesus. Became a closet atheist for a few months, started reading near-death experiences, like 30, 40, 50 a day, just obsessively. 
Because I'm like, if anyone knows the truth, it's these people, right? And that that gave me some hope and assurance again that no, there is a, an eternal truth. There is a source. And we can call that source God if we want. We could call it the Tao. We could call it whatever. But it's real and it, you are one with it. Okay, that's what I needed to hear, right? So from there, I, I just jumped into like all the Eastern stuff, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. And I got married at 23 years old and to, a, you know, my Christian ex-wife, she was 20 years old. We were super young. And then after I left my religion, we just kind of went like this. And so got divorced at 26. Again, everyone in my life thinks I'm a heretic and a cult leader and stuff now. So I have no friends. I'm living back in the Bay Area, working at Google as a personal trainer. And if you know anything about the Bay Area, it's not conducive to making friendships. It's like everyone's in their little bubble going 100 miles an hour to and from their tech job back to their 12th story apartment, you know, me being one of them. So I had no friends, all alone, divorced. Everyone thinks I'm a heretic. I'm getting hate messages on Facebook and Instagram every day from former Christians accusing me of being evil and stuff. So I had just a lot bearing down on my soul at that time. So I went through this severe depression of just life is hopeless. There's no reason to live. There's no, no purpose. And that's what drove my intense spiritual seeking. So I spent about four years just every day, just how am I going to make it through another day? You know, that kind of depression. And my vice was to just read enlightenment texts. Like the, these texts give me some hope that there might be some escape from this hell I'm in. And that led to an experience at 27 where I was listening to um, an Eckhart Tolle lecture. On my break at work, I'd go up to this balcony above my gym, just listen to Eckhart and watch the clouds pass. And I had like a little bit of peace during that time of my day. So I loved my lunch break. And one day, you know, the planets aligned or whatever. And I'm sitting there listening to this lecture and Eckhart is sort of mocking things that ego says to us in our head. Uh, things like, um, if, if only people would recognize how special I am, then I would truly be happy. And then he laughs, his Eckhart laugh. <laughs> and the audience laughs. And so I was just listening and he did like five or six in a row and then a big pause and then another one. And I was just laughing each time because I was increasingly recognizing like, he's nailing it. This is exactly what my ego is saying to me every day. And I sort of laughed myself into a realization, which, um, you know, laughter can be a very potent way to realize something. Mm -hmm. I literally laughed myself into enlightenment in that moment because I just saw the nature of what was really behind that truth, which is that all is one. You are eternal. There's only one being in the universe. Everything is that one being expressing all the stuff we say we know, but I knew it perceptively, right? I actually experienced it and it was just absolute bliss everywhere I looked. And so I'm in this samadhi state at work and I have a client in 20 minutes. So I float down to the gym and I'm like ready to train somebody. And their first comment was, wow, Aaron, you look really happy. <laughs> and I said, I am. Uh, so that was a, that was a two week experience in that state unbroken for 14 days. So I literally was given this like free sample of enlightenment. And many people have experiences like this, right? But I woke up 14 days after that, looked at my phone, realized it was two weeks that I'd been in that state. And the first ego thought came back online, which said basically, wow, I wonder if I'm enlightened. I wonder if this is my permanent state of consciousness. So now there's an I who's claiming this state, right? And from there it unraveled and my ego came back. And then the depression eventually was back 
tenfold because now I'd actually tasted what heaven was like and then got thrown back into hell. Mm. And so hell was even worse with that contrast. And the hopelessness was even worse of like, I don't want to live a second in this state knowing that that state's available, but I can't get back there. I'm, I'm stuck here. So I just, you know, my, my entire life outside of spiritual growth became meaningless to me. Um, I was a full-time fitness model in San Francisco, competitive bodybuilder, personal trainer. I was in all this, all this vanity in my life. I completely stepped out of it after that, uh, quit my modeling gig, dropped out of the show I was prepping for, like couldn't have cared less about that stuff. And every waking second of my day was just devoted to how do I get back to that state of consciousness? And through that, uh, burning desire came this gradual understanding of what I call the three beliefs of ego. The understanding first came through on the emotional level because I realized I was trying to break down my suffering. Like, what am I really suffering from? There's feelings of sadness for sure most of the time. Sometimes I get really angry. And then other times I'm just really stressed out. So it's like, can I find any other feelings I suffer from? And it was, nope, it's clearly these three, sadness, anger, fear, root, sacral, solar plexus, yeah? So once I understood like, yeah, there's actually just three kind of root negative emotions that human beings suffer from. The next question eventually appeared, which was, well, then those three different emotions must happen for different reasons, right? There's, there's a type of reason why I'm sad versus angry or stressed out. What is that reason? And after really like wanting to know the answer to this question, and these questions, like I didn't want to just make up a system or something. It was like, I need to know this information to stop suffering. And so I didn't want to fool myself and come up with an idea that's not actually true. So I would test it against my personal experience. And eventually the first belief of ego became obvious, which is that um, I am lacking. I'm insufficient. I'm not enough in some way. So the belief in lack is like the first belief ego has. And that's the belief that causes sadness. When we feel sad, it's because we feel like we've lost something or we are lacking something that we need, right? Yeah. So that's the first belief. The second belief um, is actually kind of an extension of the first. They all, they all connect to each other. Um, if I am lacking, then that implies I might be able to fulfill my lack. I can complete myself somehow. And so what does the ego want to complete itself with? Kind of hard to come up with the right words for this, but I like to just say outcome happiness, right? Just the general belief that a positive outcome will somehow complete me. That's the second belief of ego. And that's the belief that causes anger. Because what happens anytime a goal gets blocked or an outcome gets blocked, ego gets angry. Anger is the way of like, I'm going to smash through this obstacle because I got to get my outcome no matter what, right? Whatever it is. So anger is a very useful energy for getting your outcomes, yeah? And then if I need to complete myself, then that's the third belief, implies the third belief, which is I'm the doer. I'm in control of life. I'm the one who makes the gears of life turn. I act and behave independently of the universe. That's the third belief, and that's the belief that will cause fear. Uh, when I say fear, I mean more like stress, worry, anxiety, paranoia, right? When, whenever, you whenever the mind believes it's losing control over a situation, panic 
stress, worry will be the result. So when, when the ego thinks it's losing its control, it gets fearful, stressed out, afraid, right? And so that's actually, those are the three underlying beliefs behind every moment you've ever suffered in your life. It was actually just one of those three beliefs that was ultimately causing it. So if we want to talk about subtle purification, we, we can trace back all of our mind activity to one of these three beliefs. Everything ego does, it's, it has to first use a belief that you agree with to then get you off on the story, right? So if you don't believe that you're lacking fundamentally, ego can't trick you into being sad about something. This is something that happens to people who evolve spiritually after a while. We notice that the grief of losing a loved one just kind of disappears, where we're just literally not able to feel sad when someone we love passes away. We actually feel really happy. We're like, man, you just graduated from a human lifetime. Congrats, like best of luck on your next journey. Can't wait to see you on the other side. We can't believe we're lacking that person anymore. And so people still in lack will say, you're so insensitive that you're not sad and crying with us. And you're like, I just have too much love in my heart. You know, there's no room for it. Yeah, so beautiful, man. I think it's just a powerful understanding and pointer to on the path of having an integrated ego, which is necessary, it's not like we're gonna get rid of it, but being able to first off create space for you to actually have these firsthand awarenesses, like hearing it in this conversation, for example, I'm sure is supportive for people. And when you first, when you come to that realization and arrive at that authentically within yourself and you can see um, see that, it takes space to get to that, yeah. to that point. Like there, we're just so embodied as the ego, as the identity, it's yeah. not, that the ego perceives life around us as not being enough. It's just that the ego identity structure itself is not enough. And yeah. we are operating within that thinking that we are it. And so we're living in the solution of our own making. And of course it's necessary for us, like we spoke in the beginning, full circle to forget ourselves, to go through this whole right. process. So to see the, the purpose that it serves and to see the inner workings of what's going on behind the thing and that I'm not sad because my ex left me. I'm sad because of what I think that means because there's that feeling of lack, right? Whatever the thing is, whatever is happening in our external reality that we project and say, that's the reason why I'm angry, I'm fearful, I'm sad, then uh, that's just going to be a never ending rabbit hole that you continue to go down. Right, right. That's a great point actually that ego wants you to be lost in the story. Why? so that you won't question the underlying assumption, yes. the belief. It's for the survival of itself, right? Yes. So, because if you question it and get down to the root of it, then where's the ego? It gets dissolved in that yep. space, right? So it's a process of having this awareness, but then we get to become integrated. We have an integrated ego. Like I'd be so careful around somebody who says they don't have an ego. Like for that sure. is a massive ego. Yeah, turn around and run. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Run, run to a different uh, environment immediately because <laughs> that is just, um, it's it's somebody who is uh, operating within the shadow and they're not realizing it, right? Yeah, there's complete yeah. unawareness. And so coming back to this place of awareness, how for you, like what has been the process of actually like you saying this gives people context to when things arise to point and dig deeper, have some space and and at least be curious about the experience instead of, uh, claiming that that it is what it is, right? Maybe there's something deeper working here. Mm -hmm. You know, my friend Peter Crone, I love when he gives us um, this analogy of, of almost just like the tonality shift of like saying, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Hmm. 
You know, it's like even just the tonality shift of turning it into yeah, a question yeah. allows space to be created to look at it from a different perspective. And that's what we need to do to create the space. So um, for you, how that's shown up in your life, man, is there anything else you want to touch on in regards to how we can have go on this process of integrating our ego? Yeah, well, I mean, it's all it's all just about finding out what's true, right? At the yeah. end of the day, um, because these three beliefs are interconnected, even they exist in relationship, right? We can actually do the most uh, damage to the ego's thought system by transcending lack, because the other two depend on lack as well. So transcending the belief in lack is the most challenging and the most potent uh, belief to transcend. And so um, A Course in Miracles, A Course of Love are extremely helpful texts for doing that because they lay out God's thought system, the, the thought system of reality in such a way that it's absolutely convincing. And you're like, oh yeah, ego's thought system is a delusion. I see it now. And one of the ways that this was made most available to me to understand was through this concept of oneness as all things exist in relationship. So it can be hard to tell someone like, hey, realize that all is one. Good luck, you know. Ego is just not gonna do that. So we can give the mind a bridge to that realization, a little step down in between and say, well, okay, forget about oneness. Just try to become aware that everything exists in relationship. Start there. And that does that begins to do something extremely powerful to the mind in that it starts to, because it seems innocent enough to where ego's like, oh, cool, relationships can help me out, so I'm happy to do that. And you can just start noticing, you know, this, the relationship between the cup and the water even. It's just the simplest relationships and the oxygen I'm breathing to have this conversation. And then um, our actual relationship, everything is cooperating with something. Everything is depending on something else. Nothing can actually exist in a vacuum. Even the sun, which appears to be existing in a vacuum of space, is still in relationship to space, right? So oneness is the inescapable fact of reality, and separation is literally an impossibility. Nothing can be separate. So why am I still living from this delusional state that I'm separate? Well, you're not aware that everything is relationship yet. So when you start there, you begin to realize that you begin to see how ego came up with its false thought system, right? Where ego thinking it's separate from everything else, you know, the whole universe is this amazing dance of cooperation, right? It's this endless flow of giving and receiving. And so when we're in oneness, when we're living from a oneness state of consciousness, we're in that flow with the universe. We're connected. We're in the giving and receiving. So all our needs are met. Even Jesus said this, right? Who of you by worrying can add anything to your life? Look at the sparrows. They don't worry and God feeds them and the lilies of the field are beautiful and they don't worry. Like you should be like that. He's speaking to this truth, right? That in the oneness of reality, all your needs are met because you're one with reality. So it can't leave you out. Love can't leave anything out. So we cut ourselves off from the unity of creation by believing we're separate. And then our needs seem to not be getting met because we're not in the giving and receiving. We're in take, take, take. So then the, the ego just sees all of its, all the needs it thinks aren't getting met. It just sees that as lack. I'm lacking this, I'm lacking that. And A Course in Miracles says, and this, this is my like ultimate mantra for the first belief, to heal the first belief. A Course in Miracles says, only what I have not given can ever be lacking. 
Only what I have not given can ever be lacking. So there is no lack. There's just what you're not giving. And that's how you heal lack. The belief in lack is whatever it is you think you're lacking. And you do have to get to the core of it, right? Um, Give yourself that. So you mentioned the breakup. I'm feeling so lonely now because my ex and I are separate. Oh, I'm so lonely. Well, what are you really thinking you're lacking, right? You believe you're lacking love in your life. You believe love is now absent from your experience. So can you give that love to yourself? Or maybe not even to yourself. Can you go love the trees outside your house? Can you go just go give love to something? Service to others, radiating. And now you become positively polarized. You're no longer looking to take from the whole to serve yourself. I need to get love from someone. That's the, the ego's kind of special relationship. It's all about possession. Instead of doing that, you just say, I want to give love to creation. I want to be the giver of the love. And the Course says, you discover that giving and receiving are one. It's the same thing. You can't, what you give away is what you keep for yourself. Because again, you are the source of everything because you are the creator in your ultimate form. But how could you ever know what's inside of you if you don't give it, right? How could a star ever know its light if it never shone its light? How could a superhero know that they have superpowers if they never go fight crime or use their powers, right? It's in you, but you have to express it. And that's what love is. That's what service to others is. It's beautiful, man. Just like giving everybody who's listening to this an invitation to not project out and point the finger at whatever's happening in your reality that maybe you're not the biggest fan of to say that, uh, to to inquire in the place in which from you're perceiving something, not just what you're perceiving. We can be so externally focused. And when you look at nature, it's inherently intelligent and abundant. We yeah. are nature, as opposed to the definition, which is actually interesting. If you look up the definition in, on the dictionary, um, it's like everything that's connected, all life, plants, animals, except humans. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and and so with that inherent belief of scarcity and separation, we are, of course, going to be under the illusion that we need to be in the pursuit of joy, happiness, connection, right? right? And what you're speaking to is coming from the energy that instead of I'm trying to be in the pursuit of joy or happiness, my life can be an expression of joy and and the expression of happiness. And they're coming from two completely um, different places because one's under the illusion that it's external. The other is under the proper understanding that it's actually all coming from the original source within yourself. And from that place then you can go into partnerships, for example, and you're not looking for somebody to complete you, to be your other half, quote unquote, you know? It's, you're coming into, and of course, there's gonna be parts in your life where you need to maybe go through the relativity of a partnership to realize the magnitude of love that you have within you, like you see in the reflection of another person, um, more of yourself, and that you can actually hold that love. But then as you evolve and you awaken and you go on this journey, then your life becomes this expression of love. And now when I go into relation with somebody, I'm not looking to get anything out of you. Why? Because I have everything within me and I've realized that. And when that's an authentic experience and not just a mental projection, trying to sound cool, not just virtue signaling, then um, you just become a magnet to what's needed for you in life and how you can serve. And it becomes that path of service and how you can shine your light and spread love and, and do it in the ways that 
the creator or life, nature's inherent intelligence has gifted you your own mm. gifts and skill sets to weave in the way that you want to weave, whether it's through writing, whether it's through speaking or podcasting or art or music, some form of expression that allows that energy to be transmitted and shared with others yeah. because we look at all of life around us and it's giving everything. We're the, the human mind and the human, human ego is the only thing that wants to hold on to that mm -hmm. because it's perceiving lack. Yeah. So as you start to go through this process and you start to work with energies at more subtle levels, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your own experience of Kundalini energy and your own experiences with having that um, those spurts and those growths because then you can start to harness it and you start to harness your sexual energy. You start to harness your creative life force energy and you can use it to expedite your own spiritual process. Now, I will say that there's some caution here that as you consciously bring forth more karma into your life, things are going to happen very fast. And if you don't have your seatbelt on and you're not like safe in your physical, physiological structure within the body, as a, the body's ability to handle that, then um, it's going to be a wild ride. And a lot of things externally will be changing as you start to bring some more of that karma from the warehouse that's stored up in the ethers, you know, so to speak. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about your own journey with Kundalini energy and then how, what it is and how to activate that within us so we can, um, so we can know thyself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so through practicing those three beliefs for, uh, you know, a couple years time, like really every day was all about like, I'm going to find these beliefs at work in my life and I'm going to correct them with truth if my freaking life depends on it. And that allowed me to open up so much space in myself in a relatively short period of time that um, sort of about two to three years after that understanding was really ingrained in me began these weird symptoms of um, first starting in, in the body. So like, you know, hot pinpricks throughout the body. The most notable one is always this um, lava-like sensation of energy in your wrists, probably through your meridians, I'm guessing, in the nervous system. But anytime I would lay down and be still, my, my body, my arms, shoulders, and then eventually legs, shins, and feet – had this amazing heat flowing through them that uh, I can't describe it as, I wouldn't describe it as fire. I would describe it more like electricity in that it was extremely, it felt extremely hot, but not painful. And that's when I started to feel like something is going on, you know, in my nervous system. And I'd heard a little bit about Kundalini, but didn't really know much about it. Um, so I started doing some research on like, is this a Kundalini thing? And sure enough, I found other people on forum boards and whatnot who were talking about these exact symptoms and, and the crazy vivid dreams. And so I started practicing yoga every morning in my meditation session. I would do a lot of breath work, beginning with Kriya Pranayama, and then just classic, you know, fire breathing, breath retentions and stuff. And then a lot of bandhas and hatha yoga stuff, all these different um, techniques and vehicles humans have invented for stimulating the nervous system. And that's what people online were saying was helpful if you're having these symptoms. So I just started doing it and then eventually had what, um, what we classically think of as a Kundalini awakening, which is the, the sort of lightning bolt event. I call it the inner conjunction where, uh, it's essentially when we've built up such a charge of polarized energy in the root chakra from, uh, retaining our sexual energy, lots of spiritual practice, a lot of open-hearted devotion and love for, for life will do this as well. When you get any one of those three ingredients or all three, 
you're heading towards a kundalini activation. And what I eventually came to discover it was really through the law of one actually was that it's the activation of your green ray energy, your heart chakra energy. And that's why kundalini is known as being the energy of pure love. It is the energy that comes available in the human nervous system after enough spiritual maturity has happened. Uh, we can understand this really well when we think about anytime you've had a, a oneness experience, um, you might, maybe it's on a plant medicine, maybe not, but you have some glimpse of oneness that gives you incredible bliss, right? And maybe you're blissed out for 20, 30 seconds, maybe a few hours, but it's not long before it wears off, right? And you go back to your normal 3D separation consciousness. Well, that's because our nervous system is literally not equipped to handle that frequency for very long. It's kind of like maxing out the RPMs on your engine, right, of your nervous system. So we need to increase the bandwidth of our nervous system to sustain that frequency of bliss or love for extended periods of time or even permanently. And so the universe has this amazing intelligent mechanism that has been evolved in our nervous system where when you put a kind of demand on that energy, it will come into activation in response to that demand and literally begin to upgrade your nervous system. And this is what we have heard called, um, some people know it as the nectar cycle. Um, some people know it as the sacred secretion. Amrita. The, yes, Amrita. Yeah. So basically your sexual energy, I like to say that sexual energy is like the currency that Shakti uses to purchase spiritual evolution with. Meaning when you're not wasting your sexual energy all the time on personal means, um, it begins to be used for spiritual ascension. And that's most people's biggest hangup, right? Is they can't stop depleting their sexual energy, not just through sex, right? But even just your, your thoughts and your attention can drain it. Yeah. So when you truly point your sexual energy towards the divine, and whether you're in a conscious partnership and you say, hey, I want to view sex not as how can I feel uh, satisfied from this experience, but how can I give you love? How can I make love to you and experience you through this act? Those kinds of shifts is what really ignites Kundalini quick. And you can do that if you're not in a partnership, right? Um, more so for men than women, but retaining your semen, for example, has been this classic technique that men use to awaken Kundalini increase creativity, so many benefits, right? Well, that's because it's literally the most like lucrative energy your body makes. So when a Kundalini awakening happens, that energy, the sexual fluids literally start to be borrowed by your cerebrospinal fluid and your cerebrospinal fluid starts to bring them up the spine towards the brain. Uh, it literally takes the nutrients out of your sexual energy, moves it up the spine, it gets into the brain, and then this is where Amrita comes in, where after enough time in the brain, you'll start to experience a um, kind of mucus-like fluid dripping down the back of your throat that is either, some people say it's very sweet or it'll be very salty. It seems to be one of the two. And that's actually the CSF from the brain coming down the esophagus, and you swallow it every day over time, and it gradually goes into your gut and starts transforming your gut as well, which is kind of another hub for your nervous system. So it's literally this energy that Kundalini starts moving upwards that is upgrading your nervous system to a higher frequency level, to a fourth density level. And that's why people who go through a Kundalini awakening, as I experienced, 
um, psychic powers start to awaken usually. Psychic gifts, the um, the heart chakra powers of empathy and really potent intuition, being able to feel what other people feel, being able to know things intuitively. Th that just starts happening for people usually. Another thing that happens is you'll start feeling really blissful. It'll just, oh, oneness everywhere. Everywhere I look is unity and it's just so beautiful and joyous. It starts to happen naturally rather than it doesn't take so much effort as it used to. That's another symptom of it. So you're, the only reason that you're able to have those psychic abilities or experience bliss so frequently is because your nervous system has been upgraded. So that's really what Kundalini is. It's a neurobiological transformation that takes place in response to, again, putting a demand spiritually. Mm. Beautiful, beautifully said, articulated. I love the, the whole framework, understanding. And once you start to have the experience of that, like I've been doing various forms of, of Kriya Yoga for like seven years now. And um, I kind of go and do like immersive experiences here and there where I really try to amp up the voltage. I'm nice. going at end of April to do an eight day silent uh, retreat with said guru called Samyama. And um, oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, that is going to be intense. It's like you have to do all the preparation and I guess anticipatory um, preparation courses and whatnot. But um, for me, it's like once you start to work with energy in the more subtle frequencies and start to uh, raise that, then everything that would have taken so much force to get results in your reality in terms of if you want to, you know, attract a certain lifestyle within yourself and partnership and career and all the things, there's so much less effort. Like it just comes to you instead of you trying to find it and get it. Yeah. Um, and that becomes really beautiful. I think the maturation of an individual who's in, in this human experience, like you start to have your awakening, but oftentimes by virtue of really difficult stuff that you have to go through and very painful moments where you're suffering. And then um, you start to become a seeker and start to seek, depending on where you're at, different levels of degree of that fire for self-transformation and that seeking. I think that you've had periods where like you spoke to after that um, experience of getting blasted off into heaven and then down in the pits of hell, you're like, now I know it's possible. I want to go there. I want to reverse engineer that. I want to serve people. I want to show people how that's possible. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I too, for sure, like I kind of had these like, uh, monthly or weekly gatherings with the guys um, from like 16 to 20 where uh, it was our own like accountability system and we come together we all had names we all had individuals that were uh, uh, reflective of who we are I was named the truth seeker and Marcus Aurelius like was my my I guess nice. guy my figure it's a good uh, one to get that's a good one I like that I was happy with that um, and uh, I, I just for a while, you know, I had this intense desire for seeking and to truly know myself and to, um, after meeting certain individuals that embodied a level of purity um, and just like clear consciousness, it really opened my mind up to what's possible within yeah. the, this human vessel. If you purify the system enough, if you go through this process of um, becoming quiet, finding stillness and mm -hmm. going on this process of moving energy. And so for me, it's just like... Um, going through this process, you, as you start to wake up, you need less to fulfill you. Like you can just be silent and experience tear jerking bliss and happiness. And from that place, where's the need to extract it from another human being or a job or whatever it is. And from that place, like we spoke to earlier, you know, you become a magnet to so much beautiful abundance in life. And um, as you grow on that journey, I feel like the desire 
or like the identity of being a seeker starts to dissolve. Mm. You know, once you start to actually realize who you are, then where is the need to seek it? You know, you just are it. Yeah. So for you, what has been your journey of being like a seeker to then just being who you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you move from seeker to enjoyer. Yeah. Right. And and coincidentally, that's where the real progress happens, actually, right? When you're just in the in the flow of it. You're no longer feeling like you're a being that's lacking something and needs to go get it. That is a, a tough transition to make because that's our ego, right? It thinks it's separate and it's lacking and it needs to get something. And it, it even does that with spirituality, which we call the spiritual ego, right? So it's all a natural process, right? It, everyone's going to f- move through these levels of consciousness as they progress. But I think coming back to the truth of oneness for me has been the elixir for all of my transformation is that I, I never stop seeing oneness deeper. It never becomes a static concept. And it it's the key that unlocks the kingdom of heaven for us that we're all looking for. Like just because third density is by comparison to the others, a very disharmonious, chaotic, challenging plane of consciousness doesn't mean that you can't transcend it while you're here and then find heaven in its place, right? You absolutely can. And that has to come through the return to unity. And so when we go back to the the understanding of everything is giving and receiving in, in oneness. So I have to start giving in order to join that oneness and that flow. And that's what you just talked about of when you're not trying to take from life anymore, but you want to actually be of service to life. You actually are tapping into an eternal principle, right? That this is the relationship the creator itself has with the universe in that God is service to life because God is the source of all life. It's constantly sustaining the universe, right? Vishnu in Hinduism, the sustainer. So God is in constant service to life. And then likewise, life is in constant service to God because life, the universe is revealing God to itself, is knowing God, experiencing God. So God is service to life and life is service to God. So everything we're looking for is in joining in that service, right? So if I just start thinking like, how can I just give value to the universe? Like I bet when you started this podcast, that was your highest excitement of like, I wanna start a podcast. It's gonna change people's lives and impact them and help somebody else get free. And then boom, a few years later, you have this incredible podcast with the most amazing guests in this field, right? Accompanying you, you joined yourself with the flow of giving and receiving. And so you're giving to God, God's giving to you, and it's this endlessly mutually beneficial relationship. And so we find that because God is love, God's love is infinite, you you can't ever outserve God. You know? Like do your best throw your best punch and God's going to punch back harder with more love because God's the source of it all. And so when you're excited to wake up and be of service to creation, uh, to, I mean, every single aspect of your life is relationship. And then you, you intuitively start to understand that this thing we call enlightenment or liberation is really just making all relationships loving right? That's not such a hard concept for the mind to grasp. Enlightenment feels hard. Ooh, non-duality and and Buddha consciousness. Ah, that feels like a challenge, right? 
Well, what if it's as simple as this? What if it's just making all relationships loving? And I mean all relationships, right? Not just your brother and your sister and your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, but even the relationships with your own thoughts. Are you loving in those relationships? Um, Are you loving to this relationship with your body? I mean, like, for example, um, the only reason you and I are having this conversation right now is because of the mitochondria in our body that's giving and receiving to our DNA and our cells and moving light through the body so that we can be here having this conversation. So like we're only here because of microscopic organisms that we can't see. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) What a relationship, right? You're not even aware of them and yet they're sustaining you all the time. And so if I'm unloving to my mitochondria by loading them with toxic poisonous food, well, now I'm in a negative relationship of taking and keeping, taking and keeping. And so that's going to create negative karma. And so karma then becomes simple as well. Everything gets simplified to me when we look at it through the lens of of oneness and relationship. Karma is unloving relationships, right? Any unloving relationship you engage in with Mm -hmm. a thought, with a feeling, with a person, with a life experience, you're creating negative karma because the universe is a flow. And so that's why we say all the energy you put out will come back to you. But whether it comes back in a positive or negative form depends on what you gave. It's beautiful. And like when I first started doing uh, Vipassana, I really loved the understanding of sanskaras and how really our only job mm-hmm. that we need to do is just stop creating those negative impressions and mm-hmm. life will just dissolve the other ones. And like you will just naturally day by day, year by year, decade by decade, have a lighter experience of life if you stop continually accumulating those negative impressions, which are those sanskaras, those scars within our subconscious mind that we accumulate by virtue of all of the information we intake through our five senses, right? And most people think of diet just as the food they eat, but no, it's everything that we, it's the smells we breathe, you know, the, yeah. that we smell, the food that we taste, how we touch life around us, um, and certainly the amount of information that we're taking in through our eyes and our ears, through media, through the friends that we're around, um, and all the biomarkers that we're cr- surrounded with in our physical environment. Like that is creating, uh, it's leaving an imprint on who we are. And that's why I've been yeah. so particular with keeping a space around me that you're living in, whoever's listening to this, to like have a clean space, yes. have proper spiritual and physical hygiene, like Huge. be able to um, be really, yeah, just be prudent with that, how, you, how you're caring with that energy and how it's coming into your reality. And so before we dive deeper into a couple of things, is there something you want to touch on with in regards to diet and how we can go on this path of purification and mm-hmm. you know just enhancing our sensitivity? Yeah, well, now that we understand how the nervous system plays such a huge role in our spiritual ascension, then taking good care of the nervous system makes a lot of sense. And so one of the things we'll learn about if we study kundalini yoga, for example, is diet is huge. This is why um, in Hinduism, food is everything. You know, Ayurveda is the most amazing science of of food because they understand the energetics of food and how it can help or, or hurt depending on what you're intaking. So like, it's helpful to think about kundalini like you have a house. That house is full of paper and stone. The paper is all the unreal stuff, all the illusions, all the wrong beliefs. The stone is what's real and true about your being. And you just sort of light a piece of that paper on fire and then step away. And you watch that house start to incinerate up in flames. And it's going to burn away everything in that house that is flammable. 
And that's what Kundalini is. It's, she is a fire that ignites at the base of our spine and moves up and burns everything untrue in her path. So that's why, as you said, we have to give a word of caution that um, please don't just go do like two hours of breath work to try to activate your Kundalini because it can be done that way. It's it's very hard, but like Joe Dispenza, for example, is famous for this where he gets people into his sessions and they do this. I went to one of them. It was amazing. This really intense breath work and then a huge breath retentions and the, the music, the drums are going. He's like, come on, push. And you're locking your gut in and pushing the energy up and people's Kundalini start popping. And it's a really great experience usually when it happens because you get that oneness moment. But what happens after that is an unraveling of your psyche, of all that is false, all the negative karma, all the wrong beliefs, all your traumas, they're gonna surface because the only way we heal is by feeling. You, you've, you heal what you feel. So Kundalini starts just grabbing everything in the basement and throwing it to the surface, putting it in your face, heal this, heal this, heal this, and she's just going on a tear through your nervous system, literally through your chakras. And so people can feel like they're, you know, having a multiple personality disorder. A lot of people end up in psych wards after their Kundalini goes off because they don't know what the hell's going on. And definitely the doc, Western medicine doctor doesn't know. He's just going to put you on drugs and throw you in a psych ward, right? And psych wards are full of people like that. So we want to be careful in how we approach this for sure. But really just understanding the process is what we need. Because if anyone understands the process that's happening, that it is temporary, but you've agitated your ego in a, in a tremendous way. So it's going to throw a huge fit for weeks, months, up to a year sometimes where people are in this psychological, just the throes of hell. But the good news is, depending on how you handle it, but really regardless, you're healing all that stuff as you're feeling it. Uh, if we are really well adapted to meeting everything with love and forgiving our past and all that stuff, then we can heal lifetimes of karma in weeks. You know, like yeah. we can do so much ascension, but few people are equipped to do that kind of inner work. So usually it's months and months of living nightmare, you know, hellish experiences. And then they start to gain a foothold and can start to meet some of that energy. So it's very overwhelming, but it will happen gradually and safely and naturally if you don't try to awaken it, but you just get real serious about your spiritual life. You devote your life to God. You become of service to others. Uh, you just described karma yoga really well, which is just alleviating your negative karma by doing good deeds to others. Like anything like this, if it's done with real intentionality, will start a kundalini awakening. But at that point, thankfully, you've already removed a lot of the paper in the wood. So not a lot is left to burn, right? Yeah, I love the understanding of just what's inside that is flammable will have to go. Anything that yeah. you're not needs to be burned away to reveal who you are. And if you're not ready for that, psychologically or physiologically, both are important, then it definitely can um, go the other way. And that's like one of the most sad things is like a Kundalini awakening that's gone to waste. Yeah, yeah. And that's why on the Samyama program that I'm going to where it's eight days, there's 60 days of preparation where there's about three to four hours of different practices every day. It's a lot. Like with everything that I got going on, it's like, I, <laughs> I got to make time for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of breath work, a lot of classical Hatha yoga, um, different practices, Shambhavi Mahamudra, Shunya, Shakti Chalana Kriya, all these different practices that are like, really, really gearing the nervous system yep. in the body 
to if a moment happens where the kundalini does wake up and it shoots through the system, that um, you're in a presence in a container physically and then also externally, internally and internally, externally, that um, that is conducive for harnessing the energy yep. and like allowing it to move up and not be wasted. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great that there are certain individuals that are that are you know doing these long breathwork sessions or really activating the kundalini energy. But if there's not a safe container, if there's no integration, it's actually it can be very dangerous work. Yeah. Um, so beautiful, man. We've just like been this beautiful crescendo of this getting to this point where we're at of like getting to this point where we're moving the energy and. In your perspective, what do you what do you perceive as the event of enlightenment? What is enlightenment? Like once the energy moves, you have these awakenings. Uh, what is the felt experience of of somebody who's actually reached that state, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's like the word love, like the word God, it's become so used mm-hmm. within a lower level of perception. Like we talked about earlier, that enlightenment is like you're perceiving it from this like red, orange, yellow level of consciousness, and it's not the real thing, you know? Yeah, so. Yeah. What is your perception on that? Um, and we can go from there. Yeah. Well, you know, the Buddha said enlightenment is simply the end of suffering. So that's a great definition for enlightenment. But I like how you phrase it as felt experience, because what's the felt experience of not suffering, right? right? If you're suffering, you have no clue what that's like. That's the whole point. So I think the distinction is that anyone can be enlightened in any moment where you're realizing the truth of the universe. If you're having a oneness experience, you're enlightened in that moment. Your consciousness is illuminated with the truth. So realizing the truth is not not necessarily the point of enlightenment, but it's about not forgetting the truth. And that's the tricky part is to not forget the truth. So to me, enlightenment has become about not forgetting rather than realizing something. It's that realizing it's not so hard, keeping it's hard. Why? Because we have this ego, this driver in our mind that's constantly pushing us towards service to self, and it has to be transcended. It is like the really good boxing sparring partner. We have to spar every day, and uh, you know that sparring partner is going to whoop your ass for a while, but eventually it's going to make you one hell of a boxer, right? If you have to face that thing every day. So brilliant mechanism universe to give us this software program called ego that just <laughs> kicks our ass all day. But that is its ultimate purpose, right? Is to force you to evolve whether you like it or not because you do want to evolve. That's why your soul came here. When when you get somebody who's like, I'm so depressed. What's the point of it all? I just want to end it. What's the purpose? And then let's say they do end their life, commit suicide, go back to the other side. What they end up realizing is that they weren't, they weren't depressed because there was no purpose but actually because there's so much purpose that they were missing out on and not experiencing that the soul's natural response to not being in the unity of creation is get me out of here because it's not our nature, right? Our nature is oneness. So it's actually that there's so much purpose in a human lifetime that to not realize it is ultimate suffering and pain. And so we go back to what you said of the joy of self-actualization that Can you just sit in a room alone by yourself and have peace? Well, money can't buy you that. You know, you can't can't purchase that on Amazon. There's no quick, easy way to earn that kind of 
everlasting pleasure. Right. But when you do prioritize yourself, knowing thyself, then you get these eternal gifts that, that Jesus talks about. In my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. Uh, all of God's gifts are given once and last forever. But to, to get ourselves to the place where we can receive God's gifts of eternal peace, love, unity, that's the challenge in this life is can you get yourself into a receiving position? Can you stop being so self-focused and actually get those arms open and become one? Then you get those kinds of pleasures, yeah? Yeah. We're just so conditioned in the consumerist westernized paradigm that we want the instant gratification of whatever it is, even enlightenment. And I just like to have the understanding that if you do the right things, the right things will happen to you. Even the desire for enlightenment is an is and of itself a barrier to enlightenment. You yeah. know, it's the I that wants enlightenment. That's the barrier to it. Yeah. And so it's nice to be able to position like your your to position yourself like you're saying to just be a conduit to be in a place of receiving, and allow nature to do its thing. Whether you have an awakening one month from this podcast or <laughs> in the next life, it's not your job to know when. It's not your job to know how. Yeah. All it is is to make yourself available to grace. And that comes through the practices that you do, that comes through proper understanding, right action. And um, and uh, yeah, just really growing on on all those planes that we spoke to, spoken to. Part of this process, and it's easy to attach yourself to an ideology or a dogma or a religion on the path of first wanting truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get locked in, locked in that energy for a lifetime, you know? And Many lifetimes in different Many. forms, whether it's a cult leader and you know um, some sort of cult or a religion, which is uh, essentially a very similar thing. It's a yeah. bedfellow. <laughs> in your own experience, being in the Christian church and an evangelical church at that, um, and having this desire for understanding life, what the purpose is here, how to live a harmonious life. There's so many beautiful teachings, and I don't want this to come across as any way, and I don't think it will that we're you know demonizing religion. Um, because it serves a purpose for individuals at a certain level of consciousness. Oh yeah. Um, and even inherent in this discussion, like I think we both feel the energy, like I'm down to at any point to be proven wrong. Like there's a, I, you show me like, even if there, I could totally be wrong about this whole consciousness thing, but at a certain point it becomes a felt reality and experience and you just have clear sight into what is. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. You just so, don't doubt it anymore. Yeah, you just don't doubt it. It just is. It's like seeing the color red. Once you see it, it's just the color red. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. You don't need to say that is red. Right. Yeah. And there's no need to even articulate it unless you're in discussion, maybe on a podcast, <laughs> like we are. <laughs> Which is what we're doing here. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Aubrey Marcus, he uh, I love he gave us a, a description of like our purpose is like essentially God pleasuring itself. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> and very much so it's like God masturbating in the form of human bodies that you are, are God's pleasure. There we go. Um so beautiful. So for individuals that are in the kind of initial stages or maybe they're just coming out of a religious indoctrination or a family where they're so surrounded by and everyone in their friend group is in their specific belief system or dogma. How do we first get past the need to uh, know what the creator is, who the creator is, whether what, what skin color they are, whether it's blue, white, or black, or they have a beard, or they don't, or it's a man or female? Um, and then also, how do you support individuals who are maybe going through leaving 
a big friend group or having the death of their reality in that dark night of the soul where it's like they're leaving a big part of the comfort of having this, you know, that community around them. Yeah. Well, I, I began on YouTube actually doing that. I started making videos because I was myself coming out. I had come out of Christianity, the fundamentalism of Christianity. And I had found a lot of what I thought were really satisfying answers for these questions of like, well, is God just or not? Does God need to punish people for their sins or not? Is the Bible inerrant or not? And so I just started making videos thinking like, well, these answers have helped me a lot. And I know that they're going to help some people online because there's a lot of people coming out of religion these days. And that's where my whole journey began. So I never even anticipated to, to be a teacher or be a YouTuber at all. It was just like, this is my current passion. I'm just going to follow it. And so one of those things for me was understanding that everything religion teaches you, it's not that it's not true, right? It's that it's way more true than you realize. Uh, the I like to see religion as like third density training wheels for spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> In that training wheels are totally valid for a kid that's learning how to ride a bike. Uh, you'd be such an asshole to judge a kid using training wheels, right? Like you're the problem, dude. But nevertheless, the training wheels eventually have to be transcended to actually ride the bike of spirituality. So I love religion. I'm a huge fan of Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, mystical Christianity. Uh, But when you see it as a learning device rather than the absolute finish line, you know, of spirituality, that's when you can use religion as a springboard. And in Christianity, when some of the dogmatic views started rubbing me wrong, when the training wheels were no longer wanted anymore, it was, it was all an inside job for me. It was like, I'm genuinely struggling with these beliefs every day because my ego really wants to hold on to this certainty, but it doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And I have a lot of questions that need answers and I can't find these answers. And it was always having to do with God's nature more so than, the more surface level stuff in religion. So just fundamental ideas, like I would start to have conversations with my Christian friends more and more where I would ask them questions. Cause I'm like, do you guys struggle with these questions? And do you have answers, you know? And the answers I got back were increasingly shocking to me. Mm. So for example, anyone who's listening to this, who is, was Christian has come out of this, will know this conversation, like the back of your hand. When you start to, let's say, question a dogmatic Christian who believes that, yep, if you don't confess Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. When you start poking holes at that idea, the responses you get are flabbergasting. And one of them was like, uh, for example, if you're a parent, um, would you, for any reason you can imagine, ever want to torture your child in a pit of fire for as a consequence? And people don't even let you finish the sentence, right? They're like, I would never do that. It's the most absurd notion. And then I would say, so can you help me understand why you believe that God does that to his children? Even to a Buddhist meditator who would never kill a fly in his entire life, but to that child, he's going to burn in hell for eternity. It's like, okay, start to ask these questions. Yeah, yeah. This is an important thing for us to nail down, right? (laughs) Why would you think that God would do that? And the answer is always, well, brother, God's ways are higher than our ways, the classic verse. And when you push back on that, they'll say, well, see, here's the problem is you're just making a God in your image. If you say, why wouldn't God forgive and and rehabilitate people who do evil? And why does he just need to just punish them with violence forever? 
Well, brother, I got to stop you because you're making a God in your own image, they'll always say. And the more I heard that, the more it started ringing in my mind of like, what are they really saying here? And at one point I sort of snapped into this kind of frustrated understanding of what they were really saying, which is you're saying that it's human nature to be compassionate and merciful and forgiving and to want justice and, and retribution, but it's God's nature to be violent and punitive and punish and use violence and all of that. Because, you know, we would forgive, brother. I wouldn't punish my kids, but God's ways are higher than mine. So wait a minute, you're saying God's more violent than you? I highly doubt that. I bet it's the other way around. I bet your human ego nature is to punish, to get revenge, to get even. And I bet it's God's nature to forgive. So if we have a God whose ways are vengeance and violence and punishment, then we have a God who's made in our image, right? That's the religious God. But if we have a God whose ways are mercy and compassion and forgiveness, then we have a God whose ways are higher than our ways. And that was the truth revealed to me in those conversations that at that point, it was just a natural letting go of, oh, that's not true. So it's not that I don't believe it anymore. It's not, it's not true. Mm. That's not how God is. Mm. So beautiful. I love how you broke that down, man. So good. You have such a good understanding of like, I'd just be curious a little bit to hear how you have gotten to this place where one, you're so good, obviously at articulating a lot of these, you have a really good understanding and especially- A lot of podcasts. Yeah, a lot of podcasts, obviously your own YouTube channel. I think people who are masterful teachers are individuals who can explain things in simple, simplistic terms and allow it to be digested and applied for anybody to hear. Um, so just uh, thanks, kudos to you for doing the work, bro. <laughs> and you. to see you on this path and- this whole podcast has been filled with a lot of, at least in my eyes, really potent nuggets for individuals to utilize in their life, to have a proper framework and understanding for why we're here, what we can do about it to end suffering, and to uh, go on this path calling forth awakening and mm. actually bringing it and, um, and harnessing that energy within ourselves. And so, so much beautiful context provided. Um, is there anything else on your heart that you want to share on, on the on the podcast before we start to wrap up? Well, I like how you just said uh, calling forth awakening. That's a, a really beautiful way to put it. Um, if I if I have to give a takeaway message to the audience after all these different topics we've covered, it's it could possibly be that actually that uh, your awakening is happening for you already. God's the all doer. God's in control. God's the one pulling the strings behind the curtain, right? Not you, not an ego, not a separate self. So although uh, these kinds of conversations for some people might really like inspire them to want to get super serious about their spiritual walk and, and whatnot, or whether it inspires some guilt in, in someone for, I guess I haven't been spiritual enough. If, if this is the truth, you know, I need to try harder. Either Either way you go in response to these kinds of conversations, um, the medicine is the same, which is to realize, look, you're not in control of this journey. You really aren't. You are the divine being having a journey called Aaron, Andre, whoever. And so in that sense, you're just like a divine idea in God's mind. And to actualize the full reality, the full potential of your divine idea, you as a unique expression of source, we actually do that more by getting out of the way and allowing our awakening to happen. And that is 
we could summarize that simply as be present, right? Be present with your life. Stop existing so much in time and past and future. Just pay attention to what's unfolding right now to the way you're responding or reacting to what's unfolding. And that has all the information you need to know to ascend to fourth density in this lifetime, no problem. Are you paying attention to your life experiences? And then are you responding to those relationships in a loving way with gratitude, uh, with open-heartedness, with surrender, with patience? Your life is trying to, to activate these attributes in you because you are those attributes, right? It's part of yourself, but it's asking you to express them in order to see them and to know them. So to simplify all of this down, you don't need to remember the three beliefs. You don't need to remember the seven densities, the four bodies of consciousness and all this cool stuff. Yeah, they're helpful tools. You just need to be present and pay attention to the supreme guru, right? Who's bringing you the lessons you need for your highest good. Mm. So beautiful, man. That just takes some of the seriousness and pressure off of our experience of being on the path and just to realize that our evolution is inevitable. Great way of saying it. It's going to happen. Yeah. So just enjoy Inescapable. the ride. Yeah. It's great, man. Beautiful. So thank you so much. I just had a funny thought that popped into my head. Your initials are AA, right? Uh -huh. You're like the spiritual AA, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Rock with that. I never got one of those in school, so I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> Amazing, man. Um, before we wrap up, where can people find you? Aaron, I mean, your your channel is incredible for people that want to dive deeper into any of the topics that we touched on today. That's an amazing resource and everything will be linked down in the description. Um, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, if, if any of that resonated with you, you can definitely find all of that content on youtube.com slash Aaron Abke. Yeah. It's really the same everywhere. It's at Aaron Abke on Instagram, AaronAbke.com. Um, you can find all my programs and content there. Amazing. 4D University sounds like a lit program that you're walking people through. So it's a blast, man. I'm loving it. Yeah. Amazing. So good, bro. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciated it. Thank you, brother. Everybody that's been tuning in to this woke podcast. <laughs> so woke, bro. We're just out here. Just that's a dirty word these days. <laughs> it is so dirty. Um, but I mean, man, it's just so fulfilling for me. Like, I would do this for free. I am doing this for free. I don't have sponsors, but like this is just <laughs> lets me lights me up so much. I get lit from these conversations. I so love it. Um, everybody that's been tuning in, I hope that you share that joy with me and the path of knowing ourselves. And um, if you've made it this far into the podcast, I would assume you do. So thank you for coming <laughs> on this journey. If you had any insight that particularly resonated with you and upload a download, <laughs> uh, let us know in the comment section below. We'd be super curious to hear. We share clips on social media and our separate clips channel. All linked down in the description. Please hit the subscribe button. Join us on this journey. And until next time, be well.